Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Changing the Game with Industry 4.0 in the Intelligent Enterprise, presented by SAP. The best run SAP. You'll hear from the experts who know how to digitize and renew business models for better results in manufacturing businesses. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, 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 welcome. If you want to run with the Game Changers, I always promise you this is the place where the best run, and it's very true today. Let's see what the buzz on the street is today. I found an interesting quote on Deloitte.com. Let me read a little clip to set us up very nicely. Then I will introduce my panelists and ask them to tell you who they are. So in the past 50 years, organizations have gone from thinking about a sequential linear series of steps, you know, design, plan, source, make, deliver, familiar to all of you, to networks of dynamic interconnected processes and systems. It's the IoT, Internet of Things, however, that truly power is the process. How? Connecting devices, assets, systems, and locations to generate all kinds of information, enabling real or near real-time data analysis and smart, with air quotes around it, decision-making and informed actions in the physical world. That's the end of the quote. So if you picked up on anything, uh, IoT is one of our themes today. So let me tell you a little more. With the price of sensor technology dropping, Manufacturers are designing and delivering more Internet of Things enabled smart products and assets than ever before. And with it, here's the key because this is our show on this, the adoption of Industry 4.0. There are unparalleled amounts of data. We always knew we had big data. We have data seas, data lakes, data. Well, we've got even more data now. More data available across the supply chain from manufacturing through logistics, and during the operation of products and assets. This information is being leveraged by technology such as, here come the key words, machine learning, artificial intelligence, predictive analytics, to drive business decisions and new business models, and that's what the world needs right now. Today we have a packed house. I have a panel of four experts, four specialists, four people in the know on this topic. So we're welcoming Phil Asinov at Vesternacher, Elvira Wallace at SAP, Michael Whaler at the Schaefer Werke Group and Pierre Visa at Dollar Group. And they're going to discuss how technology is enabling and driving Industry 4.0 and making supply chains a competitive advantage. So join us for the next almost hour for Industry 4.0, IoT, that's the Internet of Things, and more technologies that are bringing it to life. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, happy to be here, and let's get started. Phil Asanoff at Vesternacher. Please spend about two minutes introducing yourself to the world. Phil, go ahead. Hi. Uh, yeah, I um, lead the IoT practice at Vesternacher in the Americas region, and so my responsibility is working with uh, different companies to um, come up with an IoT roadmap and deliver IoT solutions in order to kind of bring them to the industry. 4.0, if you will. And, um, you know, really it's, you know, working with software partners, hardware partners um, to kind of bring the best solution to our customers. Thank you very much. Nice to meet you, Phil. We have a lot. We're going to pull a lot of great knowledge out of your brain today in the next hour. Let's move around the table to Elvira Wallace at SAP. Elvira, welcome. How are you? And please introduce yourself to the world. Great to be here, Bonnie. Um, my name is Alvera Wallace, as you said. Um, I'm the global head of Internet of Things and uh, Edge at SAP. And if you're wondering what I'm doing as such, I'm running the product group and engineering group, and I have the pleasure to work on great customer use cases that are all very tangible, very real world, and 
helping customers realize value with Internet of Things use cases. Thank you, Alvira. Use cases are so important, aren't they? We have so much theory and we <clears> teach <throat> people things and we talk about concepts and buzzwords, but people want to know, does it work? What will it do for me? How can I use it? Is it real? Is there profitability from it? Is it going to impact my bottom line? Show me how, right? And so you you have your use cases. Thank you, Elvira. Pleasure to have you on. And now let's go to Michael Whaler. Michael, please introduce yourself. Yeah, thank you, Bonnie. And uh, hello, everyone, uh, to everyone from my side. Um, as Bonnie said, my name is uh, Michael Wähler, and I'm uh, the marketing director of the Schäfer Werke Group. And uh, I'm working for this company now for almost uh, five years. And uh, prior to Schäfer, I used to work for uh, some uh, bigger enterprise companies. And uh, maybe I have to explain a little bit uh, about what we are doing. So we are a uh, family-owned traditional steel processing company with a more than 80-year-old history. And uh, as a diversified group of companies, we are offering a wide range of products um, with uh, many diff in man many different sectors and applications. And having said this, it becomes obvious that Industry 4.0 is definitely a topic for us in terms of production. But in terms of new markets and opportunities, we are facing the situation that we are operating sometimes in very conservative markets and changes are very hard to to uh, place and to um, yeah to to uh, to make the changes. So in my daily work, I'm um, focusing on the understanding of customer benefits, and I'm not trying to find out what else can we do with our technical possibilities we have. And uh, during the last three years, uh, we had to learn a lot of methodologies and different kind of approaches and project management in order to find um, new future successful ways for us. And one of our milestones was to uh, development of uh, was the development of a digital business model and the foundation of a new digital company. And this has been a very important step uh, for us. But at the same time, this was kind of the starting point for the culture change we have to go through because this is always a big, big issue. And so I'm really looking forward to today's discussion. And um, yeah, I'm really happy to be here. And uh, thank you very much, Bonnie. Thank you, Michael. Pleasure to have you. I love what you said. You have a modern 80-year history. I haven't heard history and modern put together in quite that way. And what you explained about your company is you are a use case. Elvira was talking about she is tapped into use cases. She works on them all the time. And you are a use case, Michael. So thank you for joining okay. us. And thank last you. but not least, we have Pierre Visa. Pierre, please introduce yourself. Yeah, thanks, Bonnie. My name is Pierre Visa. I'm working for the Döhler Group. Um, we are um, a marketeer and producer for plant-based nutrition. So we do B2B business only, supply to all those beverage producing companies all over the world, uh, which by default is first of all a non-digital product because as long as we like to have something in our hands that we like to drink and to consume, um, I think we will never digitize that. Um, but at the same time, um, industry.4.0 and all digitization play um, is, is important for us as well for optimizing. And uh, the interesting thing is um, I'm responsible for the commercial area inside the IT department, which means that we put um, industry for the zero not only as a supply chain topic into our environment, but that we also always consider customers' benefit to markets and um, always look for the value that we can get out of those industry for the zero technologies. And that's why inside our IT department, I'm also handling a lot of those projects and things that we're currently doing in this environment. Thank you very much. Thank you all for the introductions. Now it's the time of the show when I have asked my panelists to send me 
a quote, provocative, interesting, uh, challenging, fun, funny, whatever they wanted, <laughs> that has on the surface absolutely nothing to do with the topic of the show today. If you're just tuning in, by the way, this is our show about Industry 4.0, changing the game with Industry 4.0 in the intelligent enterprise. If you're keeping track, this is episode eight in our 2020 series, and our topic is the role of IoT and other technologies in bringing Industry 4.0 to life. My panelists are Phil Asanov, Elvira Wallace, Michael Wheeler, and Pierre Visa. I think I got those all right finally with all the V's and the W's. I think I'm doing okay. This is the part of the show, as I said, where we talk about the quotes. So Phil Asanov has sent us a quote from John Keats. This goes back, Phil. I don't think we've had anybody quite this, I'll say, ancient history, uh, a, modern ancient history. Uh, and John Keats lived from 1795 to 1821, an English romantic poet, one of the main figures of the second generation of romantic poet, along poets along with Lord Byron and Percy by Shelley. He only was in publication for four years before his death. He died at age 25. He wasn't much of a success during his life, but by the end of the 19th century, he had become one of the most beloved of all English poets. We'll leave it there. Here's the quote Phil has selected. Nothing ever becomes real till it is experienced. Oh, how beautiful. Phil, tell me what in the world this has to do with our topic, please. I think, um, you know, for me, looking at how, you know, different companies have tried to approach IoT and Industry 4.0, um, a lot of it comes from this kind of big overarching vision and trying to achieve uh, the world, kind of when jumping into IoT. And the companies that we've had, you know, or seen have success in um, implementing different things, you know, around IoT and Industry 4.0 is those that kind of just jump into it and start collecting the data because you have the availability of different devices, different platforms that are now much more accessible to companies as well than they were before. Um, and so kind of starting with the collection of the data, getting insights from it, and then seeing how different processes um, can be automated, optimized, how customer experience can be improved, um, et cetera. Phil, do you think there are any companies that are still reluctant to dip their toe in the water of sensors of IoT technologies? Anybody standing on the sidelines and saying, I don't have any proof yet. I don't think this is really going to do anything for our, our machines, for our supply chain, for our, our culture. Do you think is anybody waiting or are our companies all, have they already dived in? Phil? Um, so I, I think, you know, the ones that are waiting, the, the proof is in the data. So unless you start collecting the data, um, you kind of will never get that proof. And the technologies are also, you know, when you talk about these overarching implementations, they're super expensive. Um, but when you talk about just, you know, connecting to a device and connecting that data, that itself um, is magnitudes cheaper. And the barrier of entry to that is relatively low. And we've done that now at a couple customers where, um, you know, for very cheap implementations, they're able to start getting that data. And then you have the conversation of, you know, what's next? What do we do with that data? And there's always something that you can do with data that's getting collect collected if you do it right. Thank you very much. Good inspiration there. And now let's go around the table to Elvira Wallace at SAP. Elvira sent us a quote from our beloved Albert Einstein, in case anybody doesn't know, 1879, we've moved up in the, in the history, history here, 1879 to 1955, German-born theoretical physicist who developed the theory of relativity, best known for his influence on the philosophy of science, and who doesn't know the world's most famous 
equivalence formula equals mc squared. That was the world's most famous equation. And who hasn't seen Albert Einstein with his crazy hair standing in front of a blackboard with a piece of chalk pinning this this uh, theory about relativity? So let's give the quote. Imagination is more important than knowledge. So I'm going to move on around the table to the quote from Michael Wheeler. And Michael has sent us a quote from Walt <laughs> Disney already also very beloved. Uh, Walt Disney, Walter Elias Disney, 1901 to 1966, American entrepreneur, animator, writer, voice actor, and film producer, a pioneer in the American animation industry. And he holds the record for the most Academy Awards earned by any individual, 22 Oscars from 59 nominations and all of the theme parks around him. Here's the quote Michael has selected. The way to get started is to quit talking and begin doing. Michael, how'd you get this one? Well, this is uh, based a little bit on the situation we are facing in uh, in this company where I'm working for now. So, um, as I say, it's a very long history, and uh, it's a classical, let's say, manufacturing company in terms of steel processing, what I explained in the beginning. So, um, products are made sometimes uh, and used for 40 years or more. Just to give you an example, we are producing beer kegs, so kegs for beer and other beverages, so and they last for 40 years. So you invent something once, and then you use it for a very long time. And uh, when it comes to, to um, IoT solutions and to, um, let's say, digital solutions uh, in terms of new business models or optimization of existing business, um, it's a completely different, uh, let's say, way to approach, way of approach. Yeah? So you have to, to use completely different methodologies and so on. And it's easy to create an idea. So we can create many, many ideas in a short time. But then to evaluate and to find out what can be a good way to start with, this means that, uh, so the, I, I picked this quote because I believe that it's easier to have like a small target in the beginning and start with this than trying to build a huge and big, um, yeah, let's say a big, big concept first, which takes years and then go on. So it's better to start quicker. That's my, um, yeah, my main point here. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Good quote. And now, Elvira, are you back? You want to speak? Yes, definitely. Go ahead. So when I think of Albert Einstein and the imagination quote, it is similar to what my co-speakers mentioned. It is about getting started on the use cases. And my strong belief is the individual use case itself initially doesn't matter. What matters is to take a set of sample use cases to have an imagination drive and a plan behind it and executive sponsorship. Only that way you will acquire the knowledge that you need to be ultimately successful with the Internet of Things. Thank you very much. And we're glad your audio is back because we wanted that. Thank you, Elvira. You're fine now. Okay, let's move around to Pierre Visa. And Pierre has sent us two words. We love our two-word quotes. And this is from Douglas Adams. Anybody not familiar with him? Well, he created the science fiction comic, science fiction series, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Gallery. Popular among fans of the genre and members of the scientific community, many writers on popular science use quotations from this series to illustrate facts about cosmology or philosophy. And the phrase is, don't panic. It's on the cover of The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Arthur C. Clarke, a very familiar name to a lot of people around the world, said Douglas Adams' use of don't panic was perhaps the best advice that could be given to humanity. I love that. And also, in case anybody didn't know, on February 6, 2018, 
SpaceX launched the Falcon Heavy rocket carrying Elon Musk's Tesla Roadster, and Don't Panic was written on the dashboard screen of the entertainment center in the car as a reference to the series. So Don't Panic. Pierre, talk to me. This was a great one. What do you think? Yeah, I think Don't Panic is quite important if you talk about innovation, if you talk about um, doing something that no one did before. And um, if you look at Industry 4.0, there are so many uh, terms flying around. It's Industry 4.0, IoT, we talk about Edge, and we have mobile standards and 5G and all those terms in there. And um, if you now just coming from a traditional company and um, all those um, buzzwords and terms are flying around you, then you first of all completely confused about what is this about? Did I lost already because the others are far ahead of me? And and so um, I think the best advice is first of all, don't panic, calm down, look at what is really in it uh, for, for me, what is in it for the company, um, analyze what you can out of it. And on the other hand, uh, do the steps, do one step after another, try, uh, try new things, try to get into it. And um, that's why I like this term, don't panic, because every time you talk to someone in the company explaining what it is about, you always see uh, scary faces um, most of the time. And um, so starting with don't panic is always quite good in that case. Thank you, Pierre. That was wonderful. I think that's going to be my new favorite two-word quote, because when I, I people ask me what should they quote, uh, sometimes people pick carpe diem. Uh, and, and one of the let me see. One of the quotes is from David Bowie's Changes. Changes turn and face the strange, which goes very nicely with don't panic, right? Face the strange and don't panic. It will be okay. Good quotes, everyone. Thank you very much. You obviously all put a lot of thought into them, and we appreciate that. Now is the time. We're really, really galloping along here. It's only 920. We're usually way farther into the hour. So thank you all for your brevity, but also your your brilliance. I'll say, ooh, I said the word. So, uh, Phil Asinov, let's go to your first discussion statement. Here's how the roundtable is going to work. I will read your first statement, ask you to take about two minutes to expand it and tell us more, Phil, and then I'll go around the table, then Elvira, then Michael and Pierre, and ask each of you, agree or disagree with Phil, and please add your thought leadership, not just a yes or no, but what do you think? What's really on your mind? Do you have a use case, for example, anything you want to share about why you agree or disagree? So here's the statement Phil sent me first. He says, kicking off IoT, Industry 4.0 initiatives, is most successful when it starts with focused implementations that solve specific problems, yet reinforce the overall vision. Great opening statement. Phil, please tell us more. I mean, I think everybody's quotes, or the way everybody described their quotes, um, all kind of says the same thing that, you know, IoT and getting IoT kind of into processes and Industry 4.0 into, um, you know, or getting company to kind of follow Industry 4.0 principles really starts with just... Um, starting with an implementation in the sense that, um, you know, less talk, more, more kind of doing. And, um, you know, it's easier to kind of do when an implementation starts around something that's focused, something um, with a smaller scope that potentially has a larger impact rather than trying to go after the whole scope um, at once. Thank you. Alvira, I'm going to come back to you. We're going to try and fix your audio, okay? I think if you can call in, we can get a clearer line, or if you want to give me your phone number, we'll have Aaron call you. Okay, so if you want to put your phone number in the chat, that'll be fine. We know you have a lot to say. We want to make sure everybody can hear it clearly. Let's go around the table. While we're fixing our audio, let's go around to Michael Wheeler. Michael, what do you think? Agree or disagree with Phil? Up to you. Um, 
I, I definitely uh, agree with Phil's statement because I think it goes a little bit in the direction of my quote, actually. Yeah? So, um, because it's, it's better to, to get really started than uh, just, just wait and try to do too much at the same time. So we made the experience by ourselves. Yeah? So we were, we were checking um, what kind of, of improvements we can do with the existing business. And um, then we made a decision and we got started. And maybe it is not the decision in the next uh, three years, only for the next two years, uh, the solution for the next two years. Then it is like that. And then we have to see what might be the next step. But uh, I definitely agree that starting at one point is a, is a very important, uh, important issue. Thank you very much. Pierre, join us. What do you think? Yeah, um, I also 100% agree with that because um, if you just say, okay, I would like to do for, uh, Industry 4.0, then you don't know what to do, where to start and why to do it. So you cannot convince anyone, you don't get any founding, and um, so you can't do anything in that direction. And um, I think if you just try to play around in, in a sandbox, then you don't can generate any value. Um, Besides maybe doing some experience, but no additional value added to the supply chain, added to the customers or someone else. And that's why focusing on a, on a small implementation, which directly impacts and which directly generates a value is the best starting point you can have. Um, that's what we also experienced when we did our first project into this direction. And um, on the way, you learn so much and you will investigate so many additional functionalities, uh, possibilities you can do without, with, the, with those data and so on, um, that uh, it's then getting difficult to stay focused, but um, starting with a small part, staying focused is the best advice that you give some, uh, to everybody who'd like to get the first feet into these topics. Thank you very much. Okay, in the meantime, let's move around to Michael Whaler's statement number one. You say successful implementations of new and digital business models need not be disruptive. Often the key to success is to use access to the existing market to open the door to new business. Michael, please tell us more. Yeah. Um, of course, and uh, this is um, something we we really experienced. Yeah, as I said, so we have we are a very diversified um, company. So we have many areas where we are doing our business. So and we checked all the different business units we have, and tried to find out where do we have a chance to to put some let's call it intelligence into a product. Yeah, to improve kind of the the products we currently have, and. Um, so then we, f we found out that there's one part or some, some business unit where we have a chance to do this. And um, we are still using today this kind of traditional business to open the door for our new idea. Yeah, because the market access we have for many, many years, actually, in this, in this case. And um, so for us, it was not necessarily the point to say, if you do something new and it will disrupt uh, your, your current business, this is not the case. So currently we are using this yeah, and we, we got the feedback uh, actually from the market that when we talk about uh, with our customers about new solutions and other ways and another approach, they even uh, purchase more of the standard product yeah, than they did in the past. So it's a classical win-win situation for the new business unit as well as for the existing part. Thank you very much. Let's go around. Pierre Visa is sitting next to Michael. Pierre, please join us. What do you think? Yeah, I also agree with this statement um, because I think disruption is happening, of course, due to digitization in the markets, and we know, all know those examples that happened in the past. But um, most of the business is um, not disrupting all the day, and that's why bringing innovation in is um, much more beneficial than really searching for this um, 
disruptive disruptive technology that completely changing the game for an industry um, because there of course these these examples we know um, they are very big and tremendous but the, most of the time it's just about improving getting better and and involving and developing and um, that's why it's exactly the way that you need to start as we had in the statement before and afterwards creating small adjustments improvements of the business model and then it's involving anyways and if you are just quick then it feels after a while like a disruption thank you very much phil what do you think i mean i i also you know completely agree with those statements because i i think you know the reluctance to kind of take the jump and start implementing different iot solutions and kind of going towards the direction of you know industry 4.0 is kind of a um almost kind of it, it's, it's a fear. It is, um, you know, what if we find things that we don't like? What if it costs too much? What if um, it, uh, you know, disrupts what we're already doing? And that's like, you know, it, it's in a, words like innovation and disruption, they almost um, can have negative meanings when things don't work. And I think when it comes to industry 4.0, it's, you know, how do I, you know, take this process and improve it and, you know, not trying to change it, but get insights on it and make it better. Or same thing with customer experience, same thing with um, products. And that in itself, um, I guess, takes away from that fear aspect and organizationally enables you to start implementing um, change. Thank you, Phil. Thank you, everyone. Elvira is back. Elvira, say hello, please. Hello, everyone. Elvira, I want to catch you up while, while we were reconnecting with you, and thank you for your persistence. We do appreciate that. I read Michael Whaler's number one statement. Let me read it because I'd love to get your thoughts on it. Michael says, successful implementations of new and digital business models need not be disruptive. Often the key to success is to use access to existing market to open the door to the new business. Thoughts, Elvira? I would say two-thirds of all the use cases I have encountered were actually along those lines. In other words, continuous improvement and increasing efficiency. Now, roughly one-third of all the use cases I've encountered are coming in with a need or a want to be disruptive. I should say, though, they're very often less disruptive when it comes to the technology. The disruption is more on the business model. People want to go, for example, to product as a service or they want to go to pay per use. So disruption doesn't always mean the new shiny technology. Disruption can also be a different business model. So evolution and disruption can go hand in hand. For example, a technology evolution going alongside a different and maybe somewhat disruptive business model. So it's not either or. I think the two can go together. Thank you very much. You're all caught up with us. Now, Elvira, it's your turn. I'm looking at your statement number one. We bypassed you when we were getting you back. So let me read part of this. Very interesting. Elvira told me, we'll, we'll see, we will see a growing concern of enterprises about supply chain resilience, which is one of the themes of our show today. She says, companies are experiencing right now if their assets are set up for remote diagnostics, remote monitoring, and remote management. To pursue these remotely, one needs access to Internet of Things data like usage data. Elvira, there's so much Elvira, there's so much more to talk about. Why don't you expand this and take twice as much time because we missed you on the last round. Go ahead. Thank you for the credit on the timing. That's great. <laughs> I love it. So what I'm referring to here is right, we're living through a pandemic. And um that actually 
Um, while the pandemic is, of course, nothing any of us appreciates, we see a new influencer for the Internet of Things. Right now, it's no longer desirable only or optional only to do remote diagnostics or remote heart rate monitoring or remote servicing. Uh, we are getting a lot of inquiries how to endorse remoteness, so to say, how to um, be capable to deal with it. And um, what we're seeing is if you want to do something like remote field service management or remote diagnostics, you need real-world usage data. Um, and with that usage data, bringing it together with business data, um, data about the machine, data about the product, data about the business partner, data about anything and everything that can help us analyze what's wrong or potentially also what's not so wrong with a machine, with a piece of equipment, with a piece of product, um, that data brought together with the usage data then helps people to come up with a remote analysis of a situation. And that in turn then will help with the supply chain resilience because it's about being able to react to suboptimal conditions or avoiding suboptimal conditions in a remote setup. And we see that more and more increasing as a type of inquiry and as a type of interest by enterprises in the last few months. Thank you. Elvira, in last two, in last few months is key to what you just said. I think we, we all know here we are. We're mid-July 2020. We're all in or out of pandemic mode, whatever country, city, state, region you're in. And we have seen a lot of disruptions in supply chain for various reasons. So just let me ask you, Elvira, one more question before we move around and get responses from your co-panelists. Companies that didn't implement IoT technology, companies that didn't digitalize already before the pandemic, they're going to have a hard time with all of this remote working, aren't they? Um, yes, they do. And um, without naming any names, I just spoke to a couple of customers um, the other day, and one of them um, in Germany, that is, had implemented the remote this and that and the remote diagnostics and the remote field service management. And what they told me is, look, while the situation is non-enjoyable for anybody, we're seeing a benefit out of it, namely that our competition didn't equally digitize, didn't equally invest in the remote diagnostics. And we're now getting basically um, the orders they used to get before the pandemic. So even in this pandemic, there are people who benefit from it, enterprises that benefit from it because they have set up themselves for a remote environment before the pandemic began. Thank you. You just gave us a great use case on success, on resilience, on being able to be agile, right? Be able to pivot, be able to revisit your business models and be there perhaps when competitors aren't. Thank you, Elvira. Let's go around the table. A lot to unpack on what she said. Michael, you're next. What do you think? Well, um, basically, I, I absolutely agree. Um, but but I think is is one one important point is that it it really depends on the size of the company. I mean, I can say that because I I know big enterprise companies from former times and are now know the family-owned way actually. And um, you can see if in smaller companies or SMB companies, quite often not all processes are already 100% perfectly optimized. There's still a lot of, let's say, homework to do. And then to put such a big topic on top may be too much for the company. So what I mean here is this has to follow a clear plan. So how they can make usage out of the data um, in the future and how the steps could be. 
I think there's a, there has to be a big, um, yeah, we have to dis distinguish between the sizes of the companies. Interesting comment. Let's go around. Pierre Visa, you can agree or disagree with Elvira and or with Michael or with both. Go ahead. Either or, I partially agree. <laughs> <laughs> because um, I think the pandemic situation, of course, leads to a higher degree of digitization, but especially in the supply chain. Um, if you still have a manual work in your supply chain that you cannot uh, replace by machinery, um, then you have the workforce that needs to be there anyways. And um, so you can utilize this workforce for maintenance, for, for bug fixing, troubleshooting, and so on that is needed. And of course, they also make use of, of digital technologies, uh, cameras and phones, whatever, to get some more contact. Um, so it's, it's not that it's not possible if you um, not 100% digitize your supply chain and have all these sensors and all those things in place. Um, I see more the beneficial, and that's the part I agree with the first one in, of the statement, um, that um, it, it really helps on the next level to further improve, further automate, further get details out of the data. Um, and um, I completely agree for a lot of other areas. So imagine we had this pandemic five years ago um, without all those uh, video telephone conference technology and so on, then it would be even worse. But especially in the supply chain areas where you need to have shifts, where you need to have um, workforces still in the companies, um, it's, it's not changing that dramatically at the moment. Interesting. Phil Asanov, join us, please. What do you think? Yeah, so I, I you know, definitely agree. And I think you know, there's two points that um, I think are really important to the success of kind of implementing um, you know, digitization technologies now. And that, that goes around, um, you know, one is this time. Um, the pandemic kind of really came about in um, February, March. And so, you know, a, a five-month um, IT implementation in any sorts is, is not that much time. So it's about kind of limiting the scope and, you know, figuring out, okay, well, how can I react quickly to what is going on? Um, and the other side is also now, how can I keep the momentum going? You know, about March, there was so much about, okay, you have to do this to respond to um, COVID. We have this product in response to COVID, and then it all just kind of starts going dark now. But the efficiencies that can be gained from the technologies implemented as a response to COVID um, can still improve uh, business. Being able to remotely service your customers is going to give them an added benefit um, even after you can service them in person. Thank you very much. Elvira, I'm going to go around to you and ask if you have any comments back. You had some partial half-and-half uh, -half agreements there. Anything you want to say back, especially? I think Pierre was the one. Elvira? Well, of course, I agree with Pierre that humans still play a role um, and that the supply chain isn't reinvented overnight. What I do think, though, it gave a booster to the thought on resilience and the thought on remote diagnostics, remote field service management. While before it seemed like something desirable and maybe also feasible, but not 100% viable or needed, I think the urgency has much increased. And if I look at uh, at SAP, we're getting significantly more inquiries about these type um, of use cases. Thank you very much. Pierre, I'm moving around to your statements. I'm going to come, I'm going to say number one, but I don't want to talk about it. I want you to talk about number four. So bear with me here. There was something very key in what you said. Pierre says, Industry 4.0 is not changing the game. It is one of the major triggers, enablers, and accelerators for the next level of digitalization. Here's the key. It is more an evaluation than a revolution. That's a quotable moment, Pierre. I just want to let that sit there. It is more an evolution than a revolution. 
evaluation, or did you mean evolution or evaluation? You wrote evaluation. What what word did you want? Both. <laughs> At the end, both is true. I, originally, <laughs> I went was about evaluation. <laughs> but, okay. Now, here's statement number four, what I want to talk about. So you say, we combined Industry 4.0 technology with mobile usage. The combination one and still once was and still is a challenge. It is amazing how combining two mature technologies makes it suddenly complicated again. Also a quotable moment. Pierre, please tell us a little bit more and then we'll go around the table and get comments. Go ahead. Yeah. And this is um, this is referring to one of the use cases that we have um, where we also collaborate with the Schaeferwerke because it's about um, putting sensors on, on uh, containers and at the time you start moving your assets around, um, you have suddenly complete new challenges um, about um, power, about um, environment, about you You cannot reach the devices um, because they are somewhere around where you can, uh, can't get to it because there is customers or somewhere else. And uh, the amazing thing about this is that uh, there are a lot of those uh, mature technologies everywhere around. Uh, sensors, uh, there are so many sensors, they get so cheap and it's, it's so common to have them. And at the same time, mobile usage, very mature technology, we all have mobiles for a while and we have all the possibilities to transmit data via mobile networks. But if you suddenly start combining all those different bits and pieces that are all there and available, just by doing this combination, um, you suddenly have complete new challenges that you're not aware of until you start thinking about it. Because it's if you first time um, take um, somehow insights into those technologies, you think, okay, everything is there, it's easy, it's just about combining it. And um, suddenly you recognize that combination really makes it complicated. And that was at least the, the biggest challenges that we have faced, and at least I am, when every time we started those projects, was really not aware of these, these challenges that we will be faced with by just combining mature technology. Thank you. It sounds like working in a chemistry lab, when you pick up a tube of this and a tube of that, and you say, well, this does this and this does this. Let's see the magic that happens when we put them in the same bottle. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm... <laughs> Okay, I never worked in a chemistry lab like that, but I think a lot of people have. Let's go around the table. Phil, please join us. Thoughts on what Pierre just shared. Phil? No, I, I think it's, um, you know, it's a really interesting point. And that's, you know, the other part that was interesting is, you know, the difficulties only came about once you start um, doing it, once you start implementing it. And um, I, I think, you know, with the technologies being there, it's kind of time to take advantage of the technologies. And um, I, I, I couldn't try to figure out the best way to put it. I think in any kind of um, implementation of technology, there's always going to be things that are unforeseen. And I think the messaging around IoT and Industry 4.0 as a revolution um, makes those challenges just that much more scarier. There's a new word for our conversation, scarier. We haven't heard that one before. Okay, we need to do a whole new show about that. Industry 4.0, IoT, MLAI, new business models, agility, new practices, challenges of the world, challenges of mixing technologies, and the benefits of all of it when you come out on the other side. Let's go to Michael. Michael, what do you think? Well, basically, um, I'm 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 with Pierre because uh, we are what Pierre said we had a project together and we can see that um, to have the data always available at any time you always have to ask yourself the question if this is really necessary and if this is part of the solution in the end yeah so um, 
they are they are sometimes or quite often they are not quite often they are always existing processes and now you come with technology and you want to optimize these kind of processes and of course you can you can skip the one or other process and say, okay, we can optimize it with the, with the technology we are using, but you have to, you cannot change the entire uh, supply chain processes as they are now. And so this means you have to deep dive quite often, very deep into um, all detailed processes in order to find out what is the best way and how did you can, how can you generate the biggest benefit? But because in the end you have to save something, otherwise you don't need the, the, the technology. Yeah. Okay. Elvira, what do you think? I think um, Pierre's statement points out some really um, very relevant aspect, which is a geolocation. Where is a certain receptacle at a certain point in time? And do I have connectivity? Can I understand where it is? And also, then Michael brought up the interesting point, does it matter to know at any point in time where it is? In other words, when you have a moving receptacle, um, and let's say it is at your customer or even at your customer's customer, how important is it at any point in time to understand what's happening to it? And I think what Pierre is talking about, it wasn't as easy as originally thought, right? Mobile is mature. What's the problem? Well, apparently there are issues. And so I think it is, um, as Michael pointed out, to find the um, equilibrium. How much data do you want? When do you want it? And how much is the data relevant? Not every data piece of data that crosses the wire does truly matter. And I think that's, that's one of the things that I'm hearing in Michael's and Pierre's statement. Very interesting. May, yes, Pierre, may, join us. May I add a comment? Because um, just maybe to make it concrete, if you just uh, put the sensor to a machine that is in your shop floor um, and you get some strange data or it's not working anymore or you have any issues, it's quite easy because you just go to, to it, you look what is happening in reality, you compare it with your data that you collect and, and find the issue. If you now suddenly have something that is mobile and which sits at your customer and you face some problems, see different data don't reach it anymore, this device, you just cannot go there. And so it's very difficult to reach out to it because then you need to, I don't know, find the technician at the customer side where you can explain, please go to this device because I see some strange data, please check it and figure out what's going on there. And this makes it very complicated because it's out of your reach. And that means you need to be 100% perfect in, in, in the system setup and the things that you provide and that you deliver because you cannot fix this if you have any issues in between. And this is a bit contradictory to this uh, involving process and, and, and scrumming in those projects where you say, okay, I try out, I look what's happening, and then I try to improve it because you, it's just out of your reach. Elvira, you want to come back? Anybody want to come back and comment up here? Go ahead, Elvira. I would say... Um, it's, it's, it's applicable, right? The technology needs to have a certain level of maturity because it's out of your reach, as Pierre aptly said. And either it can fully bootstrap itself, it can be self-healing, or you're frankly between a rock and a hard place. I mean, there's, it can't be contradicted what Pierre said. It's just amen is what we can say, I think. <laughs> Anybody else want to comment? I want to pick up one more statement from, actually, I have a, a piece of Elvira's statement number four. We have time for one more before we get ready. In four minutes, we're going to go to the crystal ball predictions round. But Elvira, statement number four, you start out by saying IoT for Industry 4.0 will transform the way enterprises handle customer demands. I don't think we've specifically focused on customer demands. We've been talking about them. But if you want to just give us a, a couple of sentences of wisdom on this, how does this work? Well, with real-world usage data, there are ample use cases where you can 
better understand customer needs by really analyzing usage data. Now, if you even combine that further with experience data, you just have much better insight into the customer demands. And I think better insight will enable engineers, will help enable product designers, will help anybody involved in the decision-making to meet customer demands more appropriately, right? Just, um, I give you a use case because uh, use case is one of our favorite topics here. If I have a tool that is used on a construction site and I get the usage data about these tools, if now a call center agent understands the usage data from these construction sites and the call center agent calls up the leasee, the person or the company who leases these tools and knows how they use it, use it they will make much more appropriate upsell um, suggestions to their customers than if they just do a blind call like we all so often get them where people want to sell us something that we absolutely don't need. Very good point. If only, Elvira, if only the world worked that intelligently, <laughs> if only, because that applies to us personally as well as in business, right? People trying to sell us stuff that is absolutely no. And then again, we have the opposite. We have the, uh, the machine le- learning pop-ups all over the internet telling us what they think we want or Amazon sending us suggestions based on usage data, right? Based on what we've purchased, what we've looked at, what we've browsed. So there we go. Let's go around the table very, very quickly, about 30 seconds each before we go to uh, Pierre, you will, uh, Phil, you'll be the first one for predictions. But uh, Michael, what do you think about what Elvira said? I, I absolutely agree with this point. I mean, we, we saw in the, due to the current situation as well, the acceptance uh, of, of kind of a different approach and the usage of data. I mean, although in Germany, we're discussing quite often about the security of the data, so who can have which kind of information, but uh, all over the world, I think this, this uh, entire acceptance is on a, on a much higher level now. And um, I'm pretty sure that these kind of changes will, um, will come. There's no, no doubt from my side. Okay, let's go to Pierre. Thoughts? Um, yeah, um, I, I think it's, it's, it's true um, because um, it's, um, how, how to phrase it? Um, um, it's, a, it's a kind of illusion of knowledge that is currently there about what our customers are doing and, and what we think our customers are doing. And especially if it comes to supply chain or more internal processes, then you need to ask your customer service and your account manager first what the customers are really want and what they do. And there are so many steps in between and, and this illusion of, of the demand of the customers. And by um, replacing this um, thinking with uh, concrete data and understanding what is really happening and making it available to a broader audience, then not only for the salespeople who are in direct contact with the customers, there's really, a, I think, a big advantage and of better understanding what is really the demand and uh, bringing it to the whole comp- uh, organization, which enables you to put the customer much more in the focus than it was, than it was before. Thank you. Phil, briefly, what do you think? Yeah, I, I think one thing that I found interesting is that customers sometimes try to, and I say customers in, in the sense of like, uh, um, like our customers, try to almost prove their existing narrative by um, collecting data that they um, almost want to collect. They want to collect the data and see a certain trend that they already have and they operate based on that trend and then they want to kind of bolster that trend with um, that data sometimes. And I think it's also very important to be open to just, uh, I, I think one thing that um, Pierre said that 
I thought was interesting, you know, we need to focus the, the kind of data we're collecting and how we use the data, but I think there's also benefit from being um, focused in implementing digitalization, but then being open in the way that the data is collected because you can actually get more insights um, from the data that you're not um, originally intending to collect. And then you can see um, not the behaviors of the customer you're used to seeing or expecting, but you can also see new behaviors that enable you to improve on their um, experience with your product. Thank you. It sounds like analytical bias, Phil, where you go in with an expectation, I'm going to find the numbers to prove what I think is the way things are happening rather than let's look at everything and see what insights we can glean from new data and maybe we'll learn something new. So you go in saying, I'm going to make these statistics support whatever I think, no matter what. Now it's time for the crystal ball predictions round. Phil, you're up first. Everybody get ready. 60 seconds each, barely. And I mean tight. And if I do this, I'm on Zoom, by the way, to our listeners and I can see my wonderful panelists and I can give them the let's wrap it up sign. So here we go. Phil, 60 seconds. What do you predict about our topic today? IoT and other technologies that bring Industry 4.0 to life. Phil Asanov, you're up. Go. No, I, I think um, naturally as the technology gets cheaper, uh, more mature, and more robust, companies are obviously going to start um, adopting it. And the ones that are, I think are going to be the ones that are successful are the ones that, um, you know, yeah, the, that just jump in and, and learn from it um, and really get on, you know, adopting the technology first, even though if it might be more rough in the beginning, that experience it's what's going to, um, result in success. Thank you. Brief and to the point. Elvira Wallace, you're up. Prediction, please. So my prediction would be that with the Internet of Things, we also will see a rise of edge computing, meaning data will be collected, data will be processed close to sort of source of data, whether that's a warehouse or a plant or an, uh, whether uh, it's a factory floor. And um, we need to all equip ourselves for the advent of edge computing. It will also lead to more acceptance of Internet of Things. Thank you. Good prophecy there. Let's go to Michael Weiler. Michael, what do you think? Yeah, well, I, I will try to make a, a statement from the uh, point of view of a traditional company. Um, so I, I believe until end of the year, everybody will understand that digitalization is a very important part of the, the puzzle for the future. Because the current situation, let's say, has taught us that it's possible to run, uh, for example, many crucial company processes from home office, which was not possible in our company before. So we will see a, a very high level acceptance level for, for digital processes in a short time. I think this will speed up the decision processes. And the next step um, must be to, to, to automate the standard process, production lines, administration, and so on. So if I summarize it from my point of view, there are three different levels using the technologies uh, in the industry. And the, the first one is the optimization and reduction of existing processes, which is, let's say, kind of a homework. And uh, the second one, as a manufacturer, is the improvement of existing product portfolio, so to create like smart solutions. And the third one, and the most, the hardest one, is uh, challenging. Challenging level is the creation of new business models. And I'm pretty sure if you do all this in the next five years or until end uh, until end of 2025, you will be prepared for a um, successful future, and nobody can stop you. Thank you. Thank we you. like that. We like that. Pierre, you're up. Yeah, um, I think these, these three topics from, from Michael is quite interesting. Um, I think this optimization, this bread and butter thing that we're doing anyways all the time, that will continue. I think this will be exponentially 
growing because of um, all those new combinations that are coming through the technology and the things that you collect. But I think the, especially the last one he mentioned is um, this unpredictable component um, of it because there's so much in it, I strongly believe. Um, and uh, I think we can't imagine yet uh, what we all get out of it by having a complete digital twin up and running um, next to the physical job folder that we have in place. And um, just doing all those scenarios, optimizations so on, on a digital world before we implement it in the physical world. And um, um, I think if you just uh, look into the um, into the mirror and look backwards, um, it's always amazing um, how this uh, technology changed and the speed that we generate. And you just try to predict this into the future. Um, it's um, unbelievable, but what must happen, even if I can't imagine it at the moment. So, um, yeah, looking, looking into that and being part of that. And, of course, need to be prepared as a company to, to follow this and to go this way, because I think otherwise the other ones will overtake you anyways. Thank you very much, everyone. I appreciate that. A big shout out to Diane Pickett at SAP for putting together this wonderful panel and to Richard Howells at SAP for sponsoring this series. Such important information. My takeaway is... Don't panic. I think we got that as one of our quotes today. I want to thank the four of you. You are all very, very interesting people to listen to. Thank you for bringing your thought leadership, your authenticity, for being the real deal, and we really appreciate your time. So I'm going to also say thank you to Aaron Keller, my engineer extraordinaire at World Talk Radio, the business channel Voice America. I've got 30 seconds to wrap, and I'm going to do it right now. So everybody, whatever you're driving, by the way, my car is getting two months to the gallon now. It used to be three. Now it's two months because I go to the grocery store every Sunday. So what can I tell you? Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Just like Phil Asinoff, just like Elvira Wallace, just like Michael Vailer, and just like Pierre Visa. Go out and be a game changer today. Make something wonderful happen in the world. We all need it. Be safe, be smart, be happy, and we'll talk to you again soon. Bonnie D. Graham over and out. Everybody wave. Bye-bye. <laughs> Thanks again for tuning in to Changing the Game with Industry 4.0 in the Intelligent Enterprise, presented by SAP, the best run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Thursdays at 6 a.m. Pacific, 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.